Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, another edition of Sandos and the Sidekick. We are talking ETSU men's basketball. We are previewing ETSU women's basketball. We'll preview ETSU men's basketball. Bold predictions, because he thought I forgot last week, which or Tuesday, whenever that was. I did not. I think I've got a good one to begin with, too. And uh, we doing a little fell down? Fell downs? Voice is a little tender. You all right? You did. There was. I'll say this. You got very... Uh, Sando-esque uh, high octave on a couple um, that, you know, people crush me for. I, I felt like there was a couple. I don't know. I don't know. I'm rubbing off on you in the wrong way there because uh, normally you don't quite get that uh, prepubescent uh, uh, no, high pitch that I get. Well, that wasn't what it was. I uh, was within my usual tone, but uh, mics were too hot. And totally overmodulated the sound. And a couple of those that you're talking about. That's what that So means. now we're blaming technology. We're blaming technology. Okay. All right. Well, if technology fails, yeah, I'm going to blame that's technology. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. <laughs> so that's who you are right now. Okay. Let's talk. Uh, let's start with uh, men's basketball. Uh, last night, Mercer, I thought, uh, well-played basketball game. I think Mercer is missing something. Um, one piece or they could be a major player. That was my thought. And Alvarez is clearly the first thought after watching that. And where I go with that is because the guard play offensively was fine for Mercer. But defensively, I mean, if David Sloan wanted to dribble past them, get a box of popcorn, hand it out to people, pour some drinks, come back and shoot a layup, he could do that at any time. I didn't feel like they could stop him. At any moment now, I will say David Sloan in the last four games is playing at an extremely high clip. He's been very efficient. I know Furman not so much as the other three games, but you're talking about ten assists, ten assists, seven assists, three of the last four games. He had zero turnovers. I mean, his stat line was incredible. Went on a personal 8 nothing run at some point. I think this is the second game in a row I was encouraged that everyone is sort of buying in, sharing, and it's starting to look like um, a team that's having fun out there. And so um, I thought the press was impressive. I thought that clearly changed the game, even though I thought Mohab Yasser had a chance to pick off two passes. And was I think as a freshman, he's a half step slow. I think as he gets more mature, he reads that a little quicker. He's obviously athletic enough to go make the play, but he would go make those plays. But ETSU was able to stymie Mercer in the press enough to, I think, get them a little gun-shy. And then after the two threes by Ladarius Brewer that tied, put the Bucks up three, then Ty Brewer got the steal, and obviously the emphatic two-handed slam that has made the rounds. And then Jaden Seymour's, you know, sort of as the, the Mercer Bears just kind of oh, laid him down the middle of the lane as he took off from, uh, what, the SoCon logo or just inside the SoCon logo and just tomahawked one. And uh, the crowd was in a frenzy. You know, I thought that was – um, I think the football team there in the stands, they, they tend to get a little rowdy. I thought they were they were great, but I felt like this was a, an all-around good win against a team that came into Freedom Hall with a lot of confidence and a team that had a lot of success the last two years. Yeah, and I'm just not sure that I like the guard situation on the offensive end for Mercer right now, either outside of Jalen Johnson, Neptali Alvarez, or Neptali, as it turns out. I did not know that, but Neptali I, I did not even assume. Um, he would be taking minutes from Robertson, Walker Jr., and Jones, and they combined to go four for 13 for 12 points. And 
largely ineffective on the offensive end. I thought Johnson, Hase, and very impressive. Listen, those three were very good. Um, kind of build as the big three, makeshift big three at this point for Mercer, and they had 48 points in the 64 that the Bears scored. It was pretty incredible to see, I think it was like at the seven or eight minute mark, um, ETSU's 49 points that they had, like 46 of them were for their double-digit scores, King, Sloan, and the Brewers. And the only other basket was Charlie Weber's three. And it ended, as a matter of fact, with a pretty similar stat. ETSU's double-digit scores, or averaging double figures on the year, 67 points of the 72 that ETSU ended up getting. But the Bucks have that fourth player, like you said. They've got that other piece. And you can have a big three, but we even see it with the Mercer women, right? We've talked about this a number of times in the show. They've got three, but the last two years they've added a fourth with a really good point guard in Jada Lewis, and now it's India Banks. Well, Mercer, if you add Glisson, along with Johnson and Hase, and then Alvarez would have four. And that may get them, honestly, looking at them last night, I think that may get them to the level of Chattanooga and really contending for a Southern Conference championship. Like, I, I was pretty impressed for the majority of the game, and now late ETSU was very impressive again. And you mentioned it, the quick 8 nothing run, the five quick points, really, that happened in, like, ten seconds with the second Ladarius Brewer three and then swipe and score by Ty Brewer. Um, and even Desmond Oliver said it postgame that he thought the difference in the game was point guard play and that David Sloan was just miles better than what was on the court that night for Mercer, and he feels is miles better than what a lot of teams have at the point guard position right now across the country, and it's hard to argue. You know, you look at what he did last night, and he's got two double-doubles in the last four games, and the ones he doesn't have double-doubles, he's got 20-point games, 23 points last night, seven more assists, and he is playing at a different level. Um, It was pretty incredible, the most thunderous moment of the night. You can argue it was either Brewer's dunk or Jaden Seymour right down the lane. I thought it was Seymour. And he really hadn't seen a lot of second-half time, really hadn't played a lot in half two, and didn't have any effect on the game until he had the biggest basket of it. So it was a very quality win, and you and me talked about off-air. Was this a statement win for either team that ended up coming out victorious? And I talked to a couple others that were like, eh, I don't know, that seems like a little much. But you and me kind of agreed, like, statement in the sense of you are – showing that you're going to be in this for the long haul. You're going to be in this to try and compete for a Southern Conference regular season championship. And I think Mercer, if they could have gotten that road win against a traditional Southern Conference power in ETSU, moved to 5-1, and one, top of the league, and again, huge on the road, granted against the ETSU team that's been a bit up and down, I think that would have been massive. And they were in position to get that a lot of the night, but for ETSU, it has been that roller coaster. It has been win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. Win, going into yesterday, and you wondered if the trend was going to continue. It didn't, and so to break that and put a game away down the stretch and have David Sloan continue to do it, he doesn't have the big four be as impressive as they were. I will still stand by. I think that's a statement. Yeah, I think it was I think it was still a bigger game for Mercer to to state that here we are as a a contender, and obviously they still got a lot of games to go, but their road as we mentioned Tuesday, you can go back and listen to that they have a five-game stretch that's going to be out of control. Furman, Wofford, back-to-back chat, ETSU, and like a 12-day period, a 14-day period, something, those five games. And I feel like that's just – that that might be the most impressive gauntlet that anyone is going to run this season, just glancing at other schedules, not a deep dive, but me just glancing yesterday through some of the schedules to see if anybody else had that, just so I could talk about it uh, – during the, during the game last night, have some fodder, and I don't think I don't think there's a more difficult five game stretch for anybody. So I thought it was very important for Mercer to try to get that win to get as many as they can before they have that five game stretch. And this was a game that obviously won't win ETSU a championship, but if ETSU didn't win that last night, they got four losses, another loss at home. It's going to be quite difficult the rest of the way for ETSU to make up ground when you just look at the standings. And they've already lost to the team, the three teams in front of them at this point. And uh, you know, I guess Mercer's still ahead of the standings because they got two losses, ETSU three. But still, 
the other three teams above them, they've all lost to. So if you lost that one, then you had four teams. So that's why it was, I think, an important game. I think statement-wise, it was much more about Mercer getting the win. Now, it doesn't knock Mercer out. I didn't think it took him out of any conversation. I just think because of the road that they've got ahead of them, their road is the most difficult and challenging, again, during a five-game stretch. Everybody's got to play everybody, so you're eventually going to play these teams. But nobody's doing it in that five-consecutive-game window that Mercer is. And we'll see how that home-and-home quick flip goes with Chattanooga. Those are always interesting when you play somebody on a Saturday and a Monday in the same team in you know, one building and another. One of them is going to be up for grabs. Yeah. I don't think there's any question. It seems to always work out that way. Uh, yeah, and so if you could snake, and I think they start at chat, so if they could snake that one first, then come back home, right, then you've got a definite chance to make a, a run at it. And so I, it, it was there. I, Mercer is very skilled a lot of positions. I think Coach Gary has done a good job on what he's – been able to do so far and it seems like every time he kind of gets something going something happens with an injury or there's turmoil amongst the team or his nephew's giving him a hard time there's all kinds of things that he can't quite get there but boy they're very well coached I think they're missing um Neftali Alvarez, if he can come back, and, and he has a shot to come back. He's not, what we were told last night, not out for the season. So there's a shot. Now, it's not guaranteed he'll be back, but there is a shot he could come back. And I think if he does, and the way Johnson's been playing down the stretch, and if Glisson gives them that type game, plus, um, you know, the, the the big man inside. Why am I drawing a blank on the uh, – Chan Grant. Grant. 285. He is skilled, and I thought they should have gave him the ball more. And they fed him a lot early, and then he ended up only playing 11 minutes. But I agree. Uh, He had some finesse to his game, and I think that the game plan for Mercer was brilliant. They identified, we've got big, beefy guys down low. ETSU has a lot of athletes, no question. Charlie Weber, Ty Brewer, Jaden Seymour. But those are some slender young men. Like, Charlie Weber is the heaviest of the bunch at, what, 215? And so when Grant's going in there banging at 280, and you've got Felipe Hase, who they listed 253. I talked to their strength and conditioning people last night, and they said, more like 240, because I looked at him, and I was like, that does not look yeah, like Yeah, he is. He has slimmed down. Yes. But so they said 240, which still, he wears it pretty well at 240. And so if you have those two, and now Hase doesn't really play. I hadn't seen Hase for extended amounts of time until last night. He truly does play a lot of that pick-and-pop game and isn't going to go down low very often. And so – I guess you wouldn't throw him in that mix of, like, true post because he is such a stretch and is one of the best three-point shooters in the country. His skill set is so multiple. But, yeah, when you have Grant outweighing your strongest big by 65 pounds, I thought Glisson going down low and Grant going down low was a brilliant game plan. But they – I don't want to say they abandoned it in the second half, but they didn't do it as extensively. Bucks tried to to double more, but still they had the advantage. Even when they – I thought Mercer didn't recognize mismatches. There was a couple times where Sloan was guarding one of the big guys or King was guarding a big guy, and they just didn't toss it down there um, to the post players. I I thought that was a mistake on Mercer's side of things. Um, The one time Hase was on the block, he pulled a Lucas Casson or the uh, George Mikan kind of running hook shot, which I thought, well, if he hits that, just like when Gasson used to do it, I'm like, ah. How do you stop that, right? I mean, it's not quite the Jabbar um, skyhook or whatever, but it's still that is very difficult to stop if guys can go across the lane with big sweeping hooks. And he did that, and I thought, man, maybe he's going to take a few more shots inside, and he just he just didn't. That's just not who he is. I think if he did a couple of, you know, get the ball in the block. The other thing is you have to respect him. So even if he doesn't take shots down there, you know people, for the most part, are going to collapse on Hase for sure just because he is – one of the more skilled players in the league in general, I, I think that would be an advantage as well. But I, I certainly thought Mercer could have got a little bit more inside. I think Coach Gary is one of my favorite, a one of my favorite coaches to deal with because he's honest when you ask him questions and, and you talk. And we enjoy that being media guys. Um, but I think he's he's missing a guy. I think Mercer is one of those teams, and we saw it with, with Hoffman in the Atlantic Sun where. 
you know, they get one or two of the right guys down there, and Hawkins Arena turns into a huge home crowd, can lead them to the NCAA tournament where they knocked off Duke the year before they joined the Southern Conference. So um, I, I think clearly they've got pedigree that they can get something done. But right now it just seems like the last couple of years, year one I think he was just outmanned, in a, and I know they beat that 30-14, but the, for the most part they were outmanned all season. And you could see it, and I think he knew it. And he didn't. He coached a little differently. And he said so much to me at the – Southern Conference Tournament was like, look, my guys are playing hard, but we, we don't have the horses to compete with Wofford and ETSU and those guys right now. Last year I thought he did, but he just had some things, you know. Cummings was in and out, had a couple injuries here and there, missed a few games. Not a lot of games, but he missed a few games. Then, you, again, you talk about his nephew Jeff Gary was in and out, had some issues. Alvarez guy, missed a couple of games. Magic Spender just didn't ever He disappeared all of a yeah. sudden. So, it's uh, a thin air, like Magic. <laughs> That he did. Um, so I, I, I think Mercer is a team that can still make some noise in this season's Southern Conference um, run. I think it was a big win for ETSU. They've got a couple more home games. And for Mercer, the story's not written on them. Again, they've got a five-game stretch. And if they win four and won three and two, they're going to be right up there. Because I, my argument is still, I don't know – I think I can safely say right now you can book the Citadel, Western Carolina, Sanford in the 8, 9, 10 slot. Seven's going to be up for grabs, and everyone's going to have to try to stay out of that. And VMI, it looked like, wasn't really going to be in contention for that. Well, they've fallen a little bit. Well, now UNCG has lost a couple. I mean, ETSU and Wofford both went into last night's game at 500-3-3, and so you have to think they had a shot of realistically getting in there, depending on how the season goes. And now you're talking about Mercer with that stretch sitting there at 4-2. So, I mean, it's going to be a dogfight to see who can stay out of that seven slot because, obviously, you want to not play day one. And I know Wofford from the seven slot played ETSU a few years ago in the championship game, but what happened to them in that fourth game? Legs went from out underneath them. All of a sudden, the hot shooting terriers that carried him for three days couldn't hit an open shot. And it's three and three is obviously we know difficult to do, but four and four has not been done in Southern Conference. Same thing happened last year, right? Mercer was the seven. Correct, and they, so and they got it, their same thing. It, right it is a bit of a trend, it seems like, but yeah, the seven getting over the hump and, and getting that final victory has always been difficult. The standings are super interesting, and we can talk more about this on. Monday and do a bit, of, a bit of a Southern Conference breakdown after the weekend and after everything's settled. But you got Furman at five and two, Chattanooga at four and one, and then it, Mercer. I think Mercer, after last night seeing them without Alvarez, they are still very skilled. But I think they're probably a middle of the pack team. I think they're going to stay out of the seven. But to come out, you're right with three wins above five hundred from that five game stretch. I think that could allow them to contend for that three or four seed. Um, if they don't, and if they go one and four, two and three, even heck, you know, God forbid for them, zero oh and five, then you're going to see them plummet. UNCG is a team that, you know, I don't want to forget. This is the tough part when teams start playing games in the league or in a season in general. The temptation is to look at the results and say, "Wow, two of the first three, they looked really good defensively. They can really lock down. They can do things that no other team can in the Southern Conference." Well, then they lose two, and you start to reel it in. And you're like, "Wait a second, I didn't think they were good." preseason and you got to go back to a little bit of your take when you were looking unbiasedly without results and I said it preseason here and elsewhere that I really like Mike Jones I think he's gonna do a really good job at UNCG he's Who? had success at Radford you can reach me to <laughs> and I think there's gonna be success there but there's too many moving parts so many moving pieces so many guys out in terms of last year's squad that have moved on to go elsewhere and trying to just have everything gel over a season, just, you know, a couple of months in, it's very difficult. And so that, I think, is where the seven's going to go. Obviously a long way to go. Um, and we can dive in more. Well, well I don't know, but let, let me give you just my crystal ball real quick, and then we'll dive in on Monday. But there's two games tonight we record on Thursday. And, and let me give you the winners. Now, I'm just not what I'm predicting. I'm just saying for the fun of standings, UNCG knocks off Chattanooga. Yeah. And a VMI beat Sanford. Now you're talking about Chats at four and two. Furman moves to a half game up. Mercer's four and two. Chats four and two. 
Wofford's four and three. Tissue's four and three. VMI beat Sanford's are four and three. And the UNCG's three and three. That well, you talk about a great fun stretch of Southern Conference basketball uh, of teams really just an even league beating up. Again, this is one of those years where it's what we expected. I, I thought it would be. I thought Chat should have been the favorite as much as that pains me, and then everything else from like 2 to 7 was going to be up in the air, and it is panning out. to be. And even if, v, or if UNCG could beat Chattanooga, now you're talking about 1 through 7 is going to be absolutely fun down the stretch, and it's going to be a great Southern Conference last, what, 6, 7 weeks of the uh, basketball season. Now, speaking of that, we're going to turn a page. We're going to talk ETSU women's basketball. they got two games coming up tonight, UNCG on Thursdays we record this. And then Saturday versus West Carolina, we're going to break down those games for you right after this on Santa Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. You'd be amazed to learn what one Tennessee lottery ticket can lead to. For you, it could be lucky, but for others, it could open the door to so much more. With more than $6 billion raised for education, the Tennessee lottery has proudly funded over 1.5 million scholarships and grants. That means, on average, more than 130,000 Tennesseans every year continue their education just because you played. The Tennessee Education Lottery, game-changing, education-benefiting fun. Saturday will be Western Carolina, uh, UNCG. Boy, I thought they were going to be. Let's start with them first, and we'll go into ETSU. I thought Trina Patterson and them had getting some players back, right? Getting Aja Boygan's mother folks to stay in a time where people were leaving left and right. Adding a very talented freshman, I thought for sure this team was going to be able to rack some rack up some dubs because Trina Patterson and you know, two out of four years, you're talking about Southern Conference Player of the Year, you're talking about one of the third best turnaround in NCAA there in that nineteen twenty season and had some things I think kind of cooking her way. And, boy, it just for whatever reason just has not resulted in wins. I mean, they started a win against UNCA, lost to Wake Forest, which ETSU is familiar with, beat Winthrop, beat a non-Division one Lenore Ryan, and then just five or six just tough losses. Lost to Coastal, Gardner-Webb, Presbyterian, USC Upstate, College of Charleston, beat Maryland Eastern Shore, and then dropped games to Davidson, Elon, Wilmington, and opened up the league 0-2, Mercer, Sanford. Now, most of those games, except for an outlier, they're, they're all single digits, pretty close games. Just seems like, for whatever reason, the scoring punch for UNCG just is like the men. Play good defense. They hold teams 60 or below. Problem is, they just can't seem to score the basketball. And to me, considering some of the names, when you, you know, CC Krupp's been a great player for them. Aja Boy, who's coming off the knee, and I get that. Not quite averaging the double figure she was before. Kalise Kane, I thought, would be making a step up, scoring more. They're led by a freshman uh, who's come in and Grady, averaging 11 points per contest. But that's only one in double figures. And being a freshman, you know, good. And Sorenston, I thought, would be making steps by now. I mean, this is a team I had picked not super – well, I, I think I had him – I'm trying to remember where I had him on the – You were a little list. lower on him than I was. I think I had him, like, third in the league, and you were like, oh, I think they'll be improved, but, like, fifth or sixth. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but I, I, I just didn't see this. And some of the results, I mean, you look at – Presbyterian, that's a team probably, I, I think most years, Southern Conference teams beat. I think you look at um, Elon's one, they usually beat. I mean, they play them year on year out. I mean, it's just a few results that are there. And I'm, but the, in league results, you're talking about lost to Mercer, which, again, they played Mercer-Sanford, right? So you don't want to get too out of control because we have at nauseum have told you that we think those are the two best teams in the league. A six-point loss and a five-point loss. So they're right there. 
trying to get over the hump, but it's just the offense. They held, you know, Mercer to 66, Sanford to 62. But, again, they scored 16-57. They just have a hard time scoring the basketball, and I feel like tonight's game will be a war of attrition and could be maybe the first to get to 50 wins. Yeah, I mean, they haven't lost a game by more than 12 points all year. And the last five, they've lost by three, four, three, Six and five, and you mentioned six and five are against the far and away front runners to win the Southern Conference in Mercer and Sanford. I don't think we expected them to be an offensive juggernaut by any means, but I've been really interested to see how things have shaken out in terms of scoring. You talked about Aja Boyd. Now, she wasn't able to play until like the third week of the year, so she's played 11 of the game, started six of them. It's clear that she's just missing that burst that explosiveness that made her the player that she was. She blocked 40 shots in her last full season back in 2019-20. She's only got eight blocks in 11 games. And that's still fine for a lot of players. But for her, who is used to averaging up around two blocks per game, that's a really low number. And the scoring was, you know, in the low double figures. She's averaging 8.9 this year. Okay, a couple big games, but they'll get her right back to 11 or 12 per game. 6.7 6.7 rebounds, that's oh, not bad. I think she is doing what you would expect coming off that severe of an injury. That again, she couldn't even play until the third week. She's just probably still getting her legs under her, right? Grady, you talked about. Isis Grady, um, only double-figure scorer. Uh, that is the confusing part to me because Crudup was their leading returning scorer. And she's averaging 5.2 a game. And Sorensen, who hit a couple of huge shots against DTSU here last year. Remember, it was the strange Friday-Sunday doubleheader, same location. Uh, split doubleheader, I guess you call it. And when UNCG got the win, she was coming off an injury. She comes in and hits, like, a couple of 28-footers, like, falling out of bounds. It was incredible. She's a sharpshooter. Now, as you alluded to, you don't want to just write them off and say, well, a lot of close losses, they clearly don't have it this year, players aren't performing. You look at Sorensen, and she has played more, didn't play a lot during the non-conference, but has played more since conference play started, 28 minutes against Mercer, 26 against Sanford after clearing 20 minutes just once the rest of the year, and she had 17 against Sanford. Now, if she scores 17 in any game, UNCG is going to have a shot, especially because they are so good at making you play the game that they want to play. Keeping it below 60. Heck, keeping it below 50 sometimes. One of those losses we talked about, three-point loss to UNC Wilmington, 45-42. I mean, that's more of a football score than a basketball score when you're talking finals at least. So it's been odd to see them take a back seat, and maybe it's just because Boyd is back. Maybe it's because Grady's back. Jalen Brown has stepped up, and she's been very good. Kane is to me, and it's not an indictment on her skill, I I was very, very high on her. She's been disappointing to me this year, simply because, as you mentioned, she has not taken the step forward. She's doing pretty much exactly what she did last year. Eight rebounds, six points, high percentage efficiency, but I was expecting more of a, you know, 10 or 11 points per game, and when you see the offensive totals, and when you see that they're averaging, you know, 55 per game, and that's kind of inflated by just a couple of games, they're really more around 50 seems like on a night-by-night basis, it's clear that there are opportunities there for someone to step up and take. Are they not getting her the ball enough? Is she missing some opportunities? Are there too many turnovers? Whatever the case may be, I think that she has to be factored in more. Heck, she's shooting 53% from the floor. She's getting to the line. She's leading the team in blocks. She's doing her thing defensively. I pictured Kane and Boyd being an impenetrable wall in the paint, and you're going to have to play your offensive game 15 feet and out. And while they played great defense, on the offensive side, as you touched on, it just has not been the split that we would have expected, the success that we would have expected, and the players rising to the occasion that we would have expected. This, I really could see being, yeah, 47-45, 49-46, really close game. And ETSU could use it because they've lost 12 in a row, which is now their most in program history. They, neither team can shoot from the outside. Is that fair? Fair. 28% for one, 27 for the other, with uh, 28 belonging to UNCG. And this could be a situation where, you know, it could come down to that. Does, does one team shoot 40%? Someone team shoot 50%. Does somebody get to seven threes? That could be a magic number. It could be 
situation where both teams, I feel like, field goal percentage isn't that far off. UNCG slight edge in field goal percentage, slight edge in the uh, three-point percentage. Both teams not horrific at free throw shooting. So the big difference, rebounding numbers are the same, assists, turnovers, steal, almost there's a lot of numbers that are very similar points for, against, all that. The big thing, I think, is going to be can somebody knock down shots? And the game basketball, I know most people are like, well, Jay, and that how most people win games if you knock down shots. Yes, I, you know, sometimes you have to oversimplify things. But I think the team that gets free, gets more shots in the paint to go in and can get some outside shots. If one team hits seven or more threes and the other team traditionally this season ha- can't do it, I think that team's going to win the game. I think if Whoever can get, you know, Courtney Moore can knock down four or five threes. I think clearly there's going to be an advantage for ETSU. If Nia Howard is the best three-point shooter who we haven't talked about yet for UNCG, shooting over 40% from the outside, if she gets loose and knocks down a few threes, I think certainly UNCG has an advantage. Now, this is one of the teams ETSU did beat last year, so there's got to be a little bit of, of, and again, everything's different from the year before, especially considering this isn't back-to-back games, you're not doing all this, you know, sort of other things that going on in the COVID. But this is a game that I think if you're ETSU, the next two, you have to think, okay, if we're going to get off the schneid, we're going to turn this thing around, pick up some wins, then it's got to start with tonight, and it's got to start with making sure that nobody goes bonkers from the outside on you from UNCG. I'm interested to see how they used my Griffin because we talked about on Tuesday, that 0-6 performance against Mercer from deep. I went over and talked to coaches yesterday for women's basketball. They seem pretty feet in the trenches, you know, locked into, look, she is a good shooter, and we want her to shoot. Now, you and me discussed using her in more of an attack and slashing way just because you look at the ETS roster, and it's plain to see if you watch a game and you look at who's available that there is not someone that can go and do that consistently at a high level. Demiah Griffin, I think, can be that. And it's difficult because ETSU is lacking a lot offensively. I mean, you lose Jayla Roberts, right? You lose Kaya Upton. Jameer Houston is out for an extended period. So that's three of your top seven scorers that you don't have for the foreseeable future, if at all, in the case of Roberts and Upton. Ja'Kaya Davis is someone that I can see more as that stretch. They see, it seems like they want to turn Griffin into a stretch. Well, Davis can shoot the outside shot. Like, she can extend it out to 23, 24 feet. She's 4 of 10 from deep this year. She's not that person that can slash. Now, she can post up. She's got some clever moves around the basket. But she's not someone that will take it from the three-point line, get around somebody, finish at the rack. Like, that's not her game. Demaya Griffin, as you run down the roster – and maybe, I guess you'd even say Amaya Adams would be second on that list. Like, that's Courtney Moore, I suppose, because, you know, she also, I wouldn't call her an explosive athlete, but I would call her someone that can go off the dribble and get inside. But she is a little undersized, you know, so she's going to have problems finishing inside. And she's a great shooter. I think that it, posting her outside the arc and just keeping her there, no one would blame you for that and her being just a jump shooter because she does have a very smooth jump shot. Uh, but if there's one player that I look at the roster and say, it would be nice if she could break down a defense and go and get her points or pass to the outside. Demaya Griffin would be that. But they seem like they want to have her shoot. And so it is going to be interesting to see how many threes are put up this game because UNCG does have the two towers inside. And, again, I don't think that they have been necessarily the lockdown interior defenders that we were imagining them to be. But they do close down the paint well. And so it wouldn't surprise me if ETSU shoots 30 or 35 threes. That's the system that Simon Harris wants to run anyway. For UNCG – I think they want to do the opposite. I don't think they've done the opposite enough, even though they're not shooting a ton of threes. Um, really, they do just have Howard, as you said, and Sorensen, if she comes along and rounds back into form, to be able to loft it from outside. Um, if I'm ETSU, I'd like to – I hate to say not take as many threes because that's what they want to do. But I'd like to have open looks, right? And so you need somebody to draw a second defender and kick it out to the open player and identify that. If I'm UNCG, I want more post touches. And so these are going to be varying styles. And if the two teams stick to those key points, I think it'll be interesting to see who comes out ahead. And it could be a really, really good game. It could also turn ugly if they don't do those things. 
I think Saturday's game is about the same thing. It's the the three teams that are going to lock horns, three of the four teams, because Western has another game um, tonight. But you look at UNCG, you look at their numbers, you look at Western Carolina and ETSU, they're all about the same, 40% for Western Carolina from the floor, 25% from three. They've only broke 60 twice in Division One games. Now, they played three non-D1s, and they've gotten in the 70s against all three non-D1 teams. But they've got 74 against Charleston Southern, and they had 61 against South Carolina State, and then they haven't sniffed 60 except for one other time, a loss at Furman in the 59. I mean, it, this is another team that struggles. They can't shoot from the outside. They've got one play. Does this sound familiar? they got one player in double figures. They've got some players that me and you were talking about last year for Kylie Hill. Like, hey, the, the, the ladies are turning the corner. They're going to be good. And it just hasn't happened. And if you're ETSU, if you can find a way in Brooks Gym to shoot the ball a little better than what you have been doing, there's a realistic shot of picking up a couple of wins and having your first Southern Conference win streak since 2018-19. Your first Division One win streak, not even conference. You haven't won. Correct, because the last the Division One game since 2018-19. Right, because 1920, it was a non-D1 and a D1. You're Correct. right. Uh, the, the old uh, play before Christmas and after, so you had a 2019 win, 2020 win, but uh, I think it was Converse College was the second part of that one, right? So I, I think it is – Imperative that ETSU figure out a way, whatever it is, to find a hot hand and get some points on the board. Because if any one of these teams get to 61st, I think it's going to be almost impossible for the other team to make it up. It, it Just looking at numbers now, for broadcast purposes, I hope that everyone comes out on fire and we get us a 74-73 game or something like that because it's always more entertaining to call made buckets than not. But I feel like these games are going to be nip and tuck. They're going to be three to five point difference in both the matchups Thursday and Saturday. Which team has sort of the will to win? In a recent memory, you would say UNCG has that advantage over both ETSU and Western Carolina. But certainly, if ETSU could get the first game, have a lot of confidence going in the next game because I think all three of these teams are looking at each other going, hey, these are games we've got to get. Yep. We've got to be able to do that. Backs against the wall. We need to start winning. And the crazy part is if you look at Southern Conference and look around, any one of those teams win two, three games, they can get on a roll and get as high as a three seed still. It's incredible uh, just how it is. And, of course, COVID, they're going to make up games some other things. But I, I think this is – a great opportunity for Simon Harris and his squad to make a huge stride forward and try to pick up two wins. Just quickly on Western, they've missed Kyla Allison this year. She's still in the roster but hasn't played at all. And she was one of their best players overall last year and one of their top scorers. So not having her has been tough. Vanessa Odwa has come in and filled in serviceably, but as you mentioned, just one double-digit scorer. It's Nadia Marshall. Zenoria Cruz was another player from last year's team that you really liked. Andrea Martin Ruiz is still there. Timber Motes is still there, but Motes is kind of – she's another one where I remember looking and saying, wow, I think she could turn into a really solid player, but a little bit like Khalees Kane has just stagnated. Um, And she's only averaging 3.6 points this year and a couple of rebounds. Her minutes have gone down, and that's something interesting that Kylie Hill is doing this year. I mean, there is 12 players averaging double-digit minutes per game, and – whether that will persist in conference play will be interesting to see because a lot of that could be from, you know, an on one games where you just came in and had a bunch of players that are your ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th on the rotation and your 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th off the bench. Come in and put in 25, 30 minutes because the game was out of hand early. But that's a ton of players. I mean, it's a little Bucky McMillan-esque, you know, a little Bucky ball type from Sanford on the men's side where you see them just playing so many minutes or at least did last year rotating players constantly um, that will be interesting to see because to me there's a pretty clear cut line to draw of who you should and who you should not play and if you're going to get the best out of your team there's probably eight you know Marshall Cruz, Odua, and yeah, Holiday, Madison Pack, Mark Ruiz, Motes, Joy Reed is probably where I would draw that line 
and J.C. Justice has played 17 games. Then you get down further, and Audrey Myers is only averaging about 2.1 points per game, but she's played all 17. You have to make the most of your minutes when your team is not scoring more than 50, 55 points per game. You have to try and find those extra baskets, and Kylie Hill's looking, but he unfortunately hasn't been able to find those yet. I agree with you 100%. All three of these teams say, you know, if we can go 2-0 and in that stretch against those two other teams, that would be success. 1-1, one and one, oh, you feel pretty good about it. It's all right. We could have done better. And then 0-2, like, okay, you might be plastered at the bottom of the league. These are two important games for the Bucks. And, you know, you look, again, you look at the stand, and it's early because the, the women have more cancellations, I feel like, than the men did. And, and they start a little later because not as many teams. But Mercer up there at 4-0, Wofford 2-0, Sanford 2-1. Chats two and one, Furman's one and one. Then you get UNCG, ETSU zero and two, Western own four. So Western's going to make some headway. They've got to try to do it, and they got to do it on the road. First game against Chattanooga. Has Chattanooga kind of figured it out? We'll find out. I mean, certainly, I don't know because Chat could eat, if you will, against those two teams, Western Carolina and UNCG, and all of a sudden they would find themselves at four and one and back in the conversation. For Western, they could sit there at 0-6. For UNCG or ETSU, if either one of those go 0-2, now all of a sudden, you know, they're 0-4. But either one of those teams, if UNCG, which I don't think it's out of the possibility of them picking up two road wins, ETSU, Chattanooga, 2-2 two two right back in it, ETSU, 2-2 two two right back in it. So I, this is an important part of the schedule. Um, you look at UNCG 1-5 on the road, Western 1-6 on the road. Now, of course, ETSU's 1-4 at home, so you could – Counteract that and Chattanooga. Down the road in the SoCon is very difficult for pretty much everybody. And Chattanooga's one and six at home, which is another one. So, you know, it, it will be interesting to see. I think if ETSU, I think ETSU can win these two games. I think it's their two best shots to kind of get things going because if ETSU can pick off, you know, two in a row, get a little bit of momentum going. You know, I think the league is still – now, they're not going to win the league, and I still think the top couple teams are what they are, but I still think you can get Furman. You can get Wofford. I think you can get the next game at Chad. I think you can get Western UNCG again. I think ETSU could still get the 500 in the league. I, I still think that is a possibility, and, and I don't even think that that's me just drinking the Kool-Aid. I think just looking at the league, looking at scores, looking how teams are playing, if ETSU could kind of peak – get some scoring. I mean, again, if ETSU could just get to 65 points a game, I feel like they're going to go ahead and win more game, <laughs> games in this league where it's been a struggle for teams to score. So, All right, that is our breakdown of women's basketball. Don't forget, tonight it'll be 7 o'clock Thursdays. We record this podcast, 6.30 pregame show, Mike Gallagher. It'll be noon, ETSU Western, and the men at 4 on Saturday. So it'll be a doubleheader day here on the Buccaneer Sports Network. It will be the Citadel and ETSU. Let's go over our favorite downs that we know of. It's not the New Year's resolution. It is failed downs over this time out on Santa Sidekick on Buccaneer Sports Network. For over 75 years, Bright Ridge has powered our community, providing the energy to live, work, and play. And now we're looking ahead, investing in our community today, and building the infrastructure to power our community tomorrow. We're supporting zero emission electric vehicles, Harnessing the sun to provide clean, renewable community energy and expanding into broadband services for our shared future. Bright Ridge, your community power here for you. One, two, three. 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 Did you put my uh, predicted the Patriots to win on this? The Patriots to win last week? We're not caught up yet. Okay, okay. Oh, oh boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Remember, we haven't done failed oh, since, like, what, September or whatever it was, and then we did one last week. And caught up to, like, October? Where are we? November, and so now we're into ETSU football's playoff run. Mm-hmm. And there were lots and lots of fail downs from around the country that people looked at ETSU and apparently just thought they were absolute garbage. And then 
We're also going to move on into the coaching search. So we've got about a two, maybe three-week span, and then we're actually going to be caught up with fail downs because you and me took a break from messaging each other for about a week or two just because we hate each other. Certainly, there's no reason. We, we work together too much. <laughs> we're in separate places. I was going to you were here to be in any contact at all. We needed a break. And stand us with a sidekick from each other. We were on a break, but we're back together. So First that's fail. That's exactly correct. First fail, anything Nathan McCreary tweeted the week of the Kennesaw State. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You and me shared a couple of messages on just this tirade that he wanted to go off on. It was quite incredible. And there's not really one in particular. And when I tell you that I scrolled through, for about a half hour on the first fail and second fail, which we'll get to in a second. It was about a half hour per fail. I had to scroll through. It seemed like hundreds and hundreds of tweets. But if you're not familiar with Nathan McCreary, if you're a Buck fan, you certainly are familiar now. Kennesaw State Radio for something, or ESPN Plus, or right. he, something. He does some play-by-play of the Olympic sports, right. does sidelines for their TV. He's, he's been there six, seven years, I believe. So, And he is just deep into delusion. On Kennesaw State and everything that Owls Bucks has been and is now. Of course, we've gone over the rivalry. We dove heck, I mean, 30 minutes deep into it, one show, right before ETSU and Kennesaw State played. But are there any memorable ones that stand out to you? Because he, once he got going, really took more of a barrage than I think he was expecting from ETSU fans. What ETSU it, fans seem to think that he basically just said, the Bucks are terrible, they have no chance in this game. And to a certain extent, looking back at his tweets, I'm not sure he ever said that exact thing, but he alluded to a lot of just how, oh, SoCon, pretty garbage, Kennesaw State's always going to be better, ETSU has no shot. It wasn't quite as bad as our second fail, again, coming up in moments, but he became synonymous. It got to the point where other fans, Furman Wofford fans, and maybe some other teams, were defending Tyler Rydell specifically for some of his bad takes on Rydell. And then people even, again, non-Buck fans were tweeting him stats saying, what are you talking about? Like, what what are you – I don't know what your point is. So I, I thought it got to a, a ridiculous – anytime I think other teams' fans at some point, and, and maybe it was because they were defending the league, right, because he was obviously attacking the Southern Conference – um, but I think that when other teams, that's where I really I got sucked into it. When they were like, hey, Buck fans, can you help me with this guy? You know, and they use different words than this guy. Uh, they were a bit strong, but I, that's where I got into it. I don't know that I have a favorite. I'd have to go back and look because it's been a while. But I'm sure you're going to pick a couple that I would enjoy, though. Uh, I'm not picking any in particular. If you okay. want to go back and, and look through them, um, just the onslaught that ETSU fans went after Nathan McCreary on. And then the backtracking, you know, when obviously post-game, and, and he found ways to say, no, no, I never said that, I never said that, no, 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 I, this is my take the whole way, and I, I think they're a really good team. And, and so there was a hard backpedal there that was fun to watch digitally, especially in retrospect from five, six weeks ago. Um, it was incredible just on the warpath. And that's what I don't understand about fans, when they say something and they just, they, they get a response they weren't expecting, right? And, and I think that's what Nathan McCree, I'm not sure he knew that there was going to be a horde at the gates that were like, nope, we're coming after you, we're not letting you get away with that. And how quickly he had to shift and how much he had to defend himself. When this situation arises, it, it obviously can be difficult for anyone. Uh, but especially somebody affiliated, that's the thing, like, you and me are affiliated, work for the university, like, we pretty much save our takes for here, right, and then on Buccaneer Sports Network broadcast, because we can be homers there, but going and leaving that digital footprint and just attacking, you know, specific players and and fans, that's just not a good look. I think my only time, uh, I'd have to go back, but I think my only time of doing that was when... ETSU during a 30-4 Southern Conference tournament, I think it might have been the championship game, the random Big Ten guy shot off that ETSU would lose by 25 yes. to the 11th place team in the Big Ten. 
And then I remember going at him pretty hard and calling him basically an idiot or something. But you only but, had but like a tweet was, or two. It, yeah, but uh, and then it was hundreds all, of but tweets. But that's it. Yeah. I think that's and, and I think that is the only time I can remember that I would have did something where I look back at it and go, just let an idiot be an idiot, right? I don't have to respond to that stuff. Twitter Mafia will take care of that guy for me. That can fail. On this same vein, anything Jim Shade <laughs> tweeted the week of the ETSU-NDSU game, including him claiming ETSU fans, and this was the strangest take, and it was everywhere from him, at Jim in the Shade, if you want to relive any of this. ETSU fans sold their soul for a lucky win over Kennesaw State. Now, you want to say that win was lucky, and you want to look back, and this is what Jim and a lot of people did at ETSU, the regular season, and say, well, you know, they didn't put teams away. They were behind in the fourth quarter a lot. Like, that wasn't very convincing. And obviously, you look at the NDSU game, and NDSU are now national champions nine times in the last 11 years. Very good program. There's no question. They're one of the best dynasties in college football history. Yes, the game did not go ETSU's way. But to claim that the entire season was luck and that there's some kind of exchange of soul for victories from ETSU fans, I was flabbergasted when I saw those tweets. He went after pretty much everyone. I mean, when I say that Nathan McCreary had like 100 tweets, Jim of the Shade had like 100 in a day. And over that week, it was him versus every fan base he could find. Montana, Montana State. He's a James Madison guy. Which, again, him inserting himself into all of these conversations is very odd. I figured he'd be on DSU. Nope, James Madison. Um, so, if you want to say the win over Kennesaw State, the ridiculous set of circumstances, like the 0.6% chance on ESPN's predictor index or whatever, okay, you know, I don't agree. I, I think that you have to have a really incredible amount of fight in you, and you have to really come together and do what ETSU has done a lot of Randy Sanders time here to be able to pull something like that off and execute perfectly and have the right amount of gumption like Randy Sanders did to go for two, so on and so forth. But you can't look at the whole season and say, oh, lucky. And how in the world did ETSU fans sell their soul? Do you know where he's coming from on that? Because I was very confused. I, I do not. Um, did we, like, have people on the team that should be imprisoned and we just turned a blind eye? Did we pay people under the table I don't know about? Were the officials paid? Yeah, he should like, I'm trying to figure out where, where was the what, – what did you sell? Did we did we bring in uh, Randy Sanders, who is a, just a terrible human being, and so we sold our soul to get a win? Like, I know – like, normally – when you sell your soul, right, you are turning your back on morals and such to do this. I don't know where the moral turn was. I think it, I think he obviously had a bad phrase or take. I don't know what he was trying to say. Like, did, did we use all of our – I mean, apparently he didn't watch the 2018 season where we thought the football gods couldn't give us any more, and they did. Now, that, that was a season where you could have looked and said, how in the world – I'm with you on that if you're going with 2018 and some of those miracles – but yeah, I, I, very strange. I did. I do remember reading a lot of his, and then of course, uh, him going hard at NDSU fans was a very bad mistake because they came much more uh, hardware there and got wore out. But yes, he was um, also one of those guys that was fun to read for a day or two. Shade on Jim the Shade. Third fail. We're moving into the coaching search now. There is a donor that will remain anonymous, unless you want to out him that sent a breaking news alert <laughs> posted as the sports animal roughly one week before Christmas and said, quote, East Tennessee State University has narrowed its football head coach search to former University of Tennessee great T. Martin and current Baltimore Ravens wide receiver coach. Sources report ETSU is expected to make an announcement following his game against Green Bay this afternoon. This is not a fail because of what he or she sent out. It's a fail because you immediately messaged me and said, you would not believe the amount oh my of gosh. fans that are texting me saying, oh, my God, is this it? This is it. This is totally it. I just got a message about it. T-Martin, this is amazing. Everyone was bought in hook, line, and sinker. Fail on the fans that bought this random anonymous text message posing as a sports fan. And I, I give credit. The tweet was set up not bad. similar to where, I mean, a little bit of studying. I mean, even got Robert Harper, okay? A little bit of studying the tweet, and you're like, Oh man, that's that's fake. That's not even. First of all, I, I work in radio, so I'm like, that's not even call numbers. That's right. right. So so I got that part of it immediately. But he did that a little bit during the basketball search. The problem was he did it with people that I think 
people knew that it wasn't close. You know, he did the immediate, like, Mr. Jennings. He did uh, right. George Pitts. He did all these other ones, and people were like, okay, that's not real. And so I think he got smarter with this one that he picked somebody that just close enough, that, right? That wasn't in the running, but yet was enough to be believable. And it was so funny because half the people were like, "Well, man, my people are telling me it's Jeff Fisher. How, how do we get T. Martin?" And you know, or they were up in arms, or it was like, "Oh, that is an unbelievable hire." I mean, it was <laughs> it was people were like, "I didn't even know he's in the running." I thought it was this guy. And there were a couple that were like, "Ugh, that's terrible." But a majority are like, oh, man, what a coup. What a great job. Oh, we got it. Like, like oh, it's going to be great. This is going to be unbelievable. And I, I didn't know how to respond to a lot of them. And eventually I was like, guys, that's a fake tweet. I don't, I don't know if you yeah. want to look it up yourself. Like, that's not a, the numbers and the call sign. All that's not the same. But I give kudos. Um, it was low-key because it was text amongst donors and <laughs> people. So it wasn't – it didn't quite go virally wrong, uh, although – Looking back at it, I wonder if he'd have thrown it out there real quick. If you know how many people would have, other source, other media sources would have jumped on it and it'd be wrong, and then it really take that would have been fantastic. That would have been oh, would have been spectacular. But yes, it, I will not out him. But it was funny that uh, he had he had gave me in basketball. I got those without the heads up. I'm going to do this. I just got these breaking news, and then again, it's brilliant because it's like please press one to stop and you know or whatever at the bottom. He's got the so he's got all the disclaimers on it. You know the, the uh, text message rate will apply. All the crap you get on there. So in basketball, I've got those. So right before the football one in T Mark, he did send me this. He goes, "Hey, I'm about to send this out in five minutes. How do you think it'll go?" <laughs> and I'm like, "The people are going to lose their mind. Yes, and they're not going to know." And he's like, he, "So people won't remember that I did these and uh, basketball." I'm like, I don't know. I said, this is your best one. He goes, ooh, I've got some other ones in. I said, well, let's see. And then this one took off on him, and he was like, you know, I don't think I can do the other ones. And I don't know what the other list was because he didn't run them by me, but if, if T. Martin wasn't his best, it would have got people in the tizzy, then I can only imagine where he was going with it from there. Credit to him, but I think fans and donors have to be a little better to be able to weed this stuff out. Fourth fail. Local news outlet, and I already absolutely lambasted in this outlet without naming them, and I won't name them here, but – they said in their open to a story about the next head coach, ETSU Athletic Director Scott Carter said last week the university would conduct a national search to try and find its next football coach. It appears they've done just that. So it appears they've found their next football coach. And that story was about Jeff Fisher. Of course, a different outlet two days later reports that Fisher was out of the running and would not be the head coach at ETSU. Massive fail, revisited. And this had to go in fail downs because, yes, well, we dedicated a whole segment to it, Really, that first segment of whatever show that was right before Christmas was pretty much all about this story that was put out. I thought that we had to commemorate it here on Fail Downs and make it official. Yeah, this was uh, I, you just know, worded horribly. Right, right. Just the were they in talks? Uh, yes, I think ETSU's pretty much confirmed that. Was it serious talks? Yes, I think ETSU's confirmed that. Were there a couple things Fisher wanted that ETSU was not going to give him, which broke down the talks? Yes, that is also true, too. I think, and I'm not talking to anybody about this, that his son's a defense coordinator at Tennessee State. I think he wanted to bring a package deal and at some point in time hand off to some. I think ETSU, again, not talking to Scott Carter or Dr. Nolan about this, I feel like they were like, well, no, we're not hiring you to hire your son. That, 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 that isn't the deal. You're not doing the coaching, waiting, and lame ducking it. The other thing is Coach Fisher has only coached in the NFL, and I think there are certain things he thought he would have access to. I think he thought he could get private planes to fly to his home from Nashville back and forth and do some things there that weren't quite. And then the, the plane for recruiting left and right, the private jet that is, and the old, um, hey, I'm in Mexico, can you pick me up for a few hours and then fly me back to Mexico for no reason so I can see the campus. I mean, I think there was some things that, like, in theory, yes, Jeff Fisher would be great. It would be awesome to send up. But in the same token, like, in reality, like, calm down, Jeff. Comb your mustache. Move on, buddy. Like, it's not it's not going to go. But there were, when when it when it came sort of out, and I talked to Mike Keith about it, and he was like, he'd be great to work with. He'd love to work with him on this side. I know he wants to coach and teach and all that. But to have people that were so once they heard the name was like this is slam dunk it's over it's the deal and we all know right it's none of that stuff is over until you know honestly until you see the press conference we, at the podium that's right I mean we've seen other people who have gone to the heck we've seen the NFL where guys have, uh, or even college 
I mean, think about it. Where Greg Marshall's a good example, accepted a job. He's driving down to College of Charleston, and on the drive down, I can't do it. And he turns around, goes back to Winthrop, renegotiates a new deal. They're waiting for him to show up at the podium to do the press conference, and he calls, by the way, I'm not coming. <laughs> I mean, so, again, we've seen – and there's other examples. I mean, Josh McDaniel, I'm a Pats guy, right? I mean, he, he's accepted the job. It's a done deal. They've got a contract. He, by the way, I'm not going to Indianapolis. So, even if they have this done to have you, – you should know by now that you just cannot make the generic at this point, even if you think it's a 1,000% deal until you see them at the podium, then I think it's very difficult uh, – to give that, and that was well the cart before the horse, if you will. We're all caught up on fail downs. Feels good. You know what? I'm really glad he didn't have on fail downs. What's that? Me trolling the Buck fans. <laughs> Ooh, I was considering <laughs> that because that was definitely in our messages back and forth. That was. Uh, but it was so good that I I'm wanted at- to leave it out because I do want to revisit it if we want to talk about it. Great, but I didn't think it was a fail. I thought it was. I don't think it was a fail in either. The dastardly way. I thought it. it Yes, it. I, I was truthful. You, people just jumped to a conclusion, and then maybe the the troll at the end of the call of that game too. There was a, there was a couple couple different, which I don't think anybody really caught on to, which was great. I think I, I should go back and cut that out. Maybe use the field out. Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll do that. That might be going a little too far. All right, uh, bold predictions. Here we go. Shelly Ojani. I don't know if you heard this yet. He's gonna pitch and hit. Mark it down. Plus Kenny Hurd. We had in the season? You said you had like 25 or 26. Yeah, I had like 24 that year. That's what I'm talking about. We had 50 about. combined. And I'm obviously not able to hold my own weight on this segment anymore. But I'm going to continue to try because okay. resilience is a trademark you all right? of, I don't know. Best serve cold? It's what? me, but sure. I don't think it's, I don't know. Resilience is a good thing. And so we're going to try that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad I didn't go with my original bull prediction. I usually do these on like Monday or Tuesday just to have them out of the way so I can, you know, not have something Lift. else to do in the morning of. Had Monty Patterson for a double-digit scoring game against the Citadel, and mm. we didn't touch out in the first mm. segment, but, but Monty Patterson is no longer with the team. So it's going to be tough for him. You're going to replace that, I assume? That would be bold. That would be very bold. So I'm going to go ahead and go Change that? Yeah. Wish Monty the best, by the way. Uh, more field goals and three-pointers made for ETSU this year against the Citadel than last year, and that's going to be tough because the Bucs scored 112 Oof. points against the Bulldogs last season, their most – Throughout the year against the Division One team. They're going to make more field goals. They had 37 and more threes. They had 12 against the Citadel this year than they did last year. Wow. That's a good one. I'm going to go. Let me start with women. I'll come back to men's in a second. Women's basketball. I'm going to go, and we talked about it earlier. Last win streak, Division One win streak, which is also in the Southern Conference, was 2018-19. Had a three-game win streak. The first win was Sanford. The last two. UNCG in Western Carolina. I like symmetry. I'm going to go 
back-to-back SoCon wins this weekend for my bold prediction. They will beat UNCG and Western Carolina. I love it. The stars are aligning, says Jay Sandoz. I'll go with women's one as well. Ja'Kai Davis doesn't have any double-doubles this year. Shocking to me because she had three in her final six games last year. Thought she'd be back to it this season. Well, she will be starting now. Double-double before we're back on the air. Go Ja'Kai Davis. I do. Uh, I'm going to do Southern Conference win and come back and do the men's win because uh, you took one one of the. I was going to do a 3.1 specific, but since you did that, I'm going to I'm going to change um, just so we're not as similar. I'm going to go in the Southern Conference men's basketball side. One o'clock, Lexington, Virginia on Saturday, the next star game of the week. Your Fighting Keydets will knock off the Chattanooga Mocs. I'll be interested to see the lineup. Do you have the game I win in the game straight up? What if I said they went by five or more? What if you said they went by six or more? And I just keep slowly <laughs> stepping you further into this bold prediction. Uh, we'll, we'll, That's fine. I'm not going to catch up anyway. It doesn't matter. Okay, yeah. There we go. Uh, I love a good in-state upset. Kansas State has had their Big 12 struggles, but a lot of their losses have been in tight games. They get it done against Kansas. No more little brother. The Wildcats pounce on the Jayhawks. I'm going to go two guys come off the bench to score double digits for the Bucks in the game against the Citadel. Oh, wow. That will be impressive considering, I believe, bench players had, well, three. anyone outside of the top four had five points. And all three bench points came from Charlie Weber. And ETSU is essentially playing with eight right now, right? Because you're not going to see a lot of Isaac Faramat, Nunez, or Cameron George. And the simple fact that ETSU has not had I'll have to go back double check this, but I don't believe they've had two guys come off the bench double figures in the same game yet. Oh, I don't think so. So it'd be the first time of that as well on top of that. So, so all right. Early on, they did kind of pile up double figure scores, and there was like six or seven. But yeah, the same game. Four of them obviously were the Brewers, Sloan, and King. They've had nine. They've actually had nine guys with double figures. That's, in, that's incredible. Because Vaughn even had one. So yeah, that's pretty incredible. But the same bench play, wow. bench play. There have not been. Two double-digit scores in the same. So I'm going to go two bench players. Charlie Weber, Mo Habiazer, let's go. And Coriel Charles catches five. If, you don't, get, if you, know? you don't get those two exactly, I'm marking it as a loss since you named those two specifically. Coriel Charles is out. You've got Yasser and Weber. All right, Yasser. All right, all right. Wilted on one, gave me another one. All right, we will come back Monday. We'll talk about three basketball games, bold predictions, and a look around the Southern Conference. Back in here, Sports Network.